First Chronicles 28, verse number 10. And David, the king of Israel, is speaking to his son Solomon. And he says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Now David had been given the plans of the temple of the Lord to be built and uh, was getting everything together, made all, make sure all the materials are there, the design was in place. And, and God said, I'm not going to allow you to construct my house because you have too much blood on your hands. And that's going to be given to one of your sons to do. And David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. King David is at the latter stages of his life. He has lived a full life, an amazing life. He's he's designated his son Solomon to build the temple of the Lord. Now remember, known to man, this is the most ornate, most grand building or house for God ever in history. By today's standards, we're looking at $1 billion in value because of the gold and the ornaments and all the intricacies that were placed, the valuable metals that were put into this building. And, and God had given David the plans for the temple. It says, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God had given him the plan. And David told Solomon to get his temple built, get it done. Now, every room in the temple was designed for a specific purpose. There was no wasted space. Each space was set apart for a purpose. And God gave David a blueprint for each, each individual room, and the Holy Spirit revealed how all the pieces of the temple, all the rooms were to be laid out, and everything was to come together. Each measurement of every room and space was precise and perfectly fitted together. So much so... The temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Everything was prefabbed out at the quarry so there would be respect and honor as that building went up. Prefitted at the quarry, no tools were making noise during the assembly of the temple. This is amazing. The master builder knows how to build, doesn't he? Uh, Can you imagine what he's created in the heavenlies for his family and for his people? In the grandeur of this temple, with each article having spiritual significance, every element, all, all of the specific construction, not just of the rooms, but all of the artifacts that went into them, each had spiritual significance, and each had its own designated place, from the laver to the candlesticks. Uh, until, until the places of cleansing and sacrifice. And then it says in First Chronicles twenty eight eleven, the place of the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant had a place under the wings of the cherubim called the mercy seat. 
Blood was sprinkled on that lid seven times a day. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. We are to fill our temples with good things, with the prayer like incense going up in the temple, his word being declared, service for the Lord, washing in sanctification, witnessing and proclaiming of the gospel of the Lord. But be certain in your service to God on your journey with all the compartments that are being used for the Lord in the temple of the Spirit in which we are, don't forget the place for the mercy seat. We can get so involved with the business of the Lord, we forget mercy. It's by the mercy of God we are here today. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We enjoy God's blessings because of his mercy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Mercy means to give another chance. Mercy says, give him another chance. Why? His mercy endures. His mercy endures forever. Say that. His mercy endures forever. And God's declaring, give him another chance. That message became very real to David. As king, he committed adultery. Then he had the husband of that woman, Uriah, killed on the battlefield. His crime was punishable by death. And when you murdered someone, your life had to be taken. That was the law of God. But David had experienced the mercy of God, and he was given another chance. And when David referred to the Ark of the Covenant... And that's what he called it by name, the Ark of the Covenant. But when you come to David's final latter years, he begins to call it by another title. He calls it the mercy seat because he knew what it was to be a recipient of the mercy of God. And he was fully aware, I should not be here. I should not be here. He begins calling the Ark of the Covenant the mercy seat. So in the temple of God designed, David acknowledged there had to be a place for the mercy seat. Christians can become hard, religious, insensitive, judgmental, negative gossips. Or we can choose to show others what God so graciously showed us, mercy. When we see someone who's failed and stumbling and wounded, we must remember as the temple of the Holy Spirit always to have in us a mercy seat. Under the mercy seat was the pot of manna from the wilderness wandering days. As long as that pot of manna was under the lid of the mercy seat, it remained fresh in the Ark of the Covenant. If not, any other time it was exposed, it would develop worms within 24 hours So the the Israelites had to eat it within one day or it would become wormy and unedible. But under the mercy seat, in the Ark of the Covenant, it always remained fresh. It remained alive. It remained fresh because mercy brings life. Judgment and law brings death. A reminder from God, our needs are being met by his mercy. It's because of his mercy we have clothing. We have food to eat. It's his mercy we have a roof over our heads. It's his mercy that you have health today. 
and wealth. It's his mercy that you have an automobile to drive. It's his mercy you have people around you who love and care about you. Never forget or take for granted his mercy. Remembering his mercy makes us grateful people, a people of thanksgiving and a people of praise. That should just roll right out of us because we are so grateful for the Lord. Is anybody here a recipient of the mercy of God? Have any of you ever been given another chance, another opportunity? (laughs) When they placed the rod of Aaron under the mercy seat in the ark, it began to bud and blossom. They took that high priest's almond rod and they placed it under the lid of the mercy seat inside the ark of the covenant and that dead stick began to produce fruit again because of the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that can take a dead marriage and restore it to life. It's the mercy of God that can take a broken life, a shattered life, a life that's been traumatized, a person with no peace, with broken relationships, and after you've gone through all kinds of stuff, you take the remainder, place it at the feet of God's mercy, and his mercy brings the dead back to life. His mercy heals your home. His mercy heals your relationships in life. The relationships that the devil turned into a dead stick. And God used his mercy and used his blessing of mercy to bring buds and blossoms again to a dead stick in your life. And the beer company thought they had the original idea. This bud's for you. No, it's God's idea. The bud of life and the blossom of life comes because of the mercy of God. The enemy came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. And the great lesson, when we release mercy, we obtain mercy. When the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from Israel, God struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord, lifted the lid, looked inside the Ark, and he struck 50,070 men of the people for daring to lift the lid. So Raiders of the Lost Ark got that part right, didn't they? God said, never uncover what my mercy has covered. Never lift off and drag out what my mercy and my blood have washed away. So be cautious not to uncover what God covered. Some people have a perpetual problem because they keep going back and lifting the lid of God's mercy. God says, that brings death. But if you allow my mercy to cover it, it brings life. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is teaching. There he gives nine supernatural blessings and proclaims them upon the people who obey his word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means fully and completely understanding that they are dependent on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Number eight, blessed are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And number nine, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. What are we supposed to do? Oh, Gloucester, you know what there's... No, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great truths. Jesus said, when you're born again, you realize you have full dependence on the Lord. Blessed are you when you're in mourning and going through a difficult time. Blessed when you're meek and blessed when, you, when, when you're pure in heart and blessed when you seek righteousness and blessed when you're a peacemaker, blessed even when you're persecuted. Notice what Jesus placed dead center in the middle of this dissertation and message. Four blessings at the beginning, four blessings at the conclusion. In the center of those blessings, at the pivot point, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The key pivot to obtaining the blessing of God, be a merciful person. When you go through persecution, don't lose the mercy of God. Don't retaliate. Don't become haughty and proud of yourself and boastful. God says, if you will bestow mercy, I will grant you mercy. So God places eight blessings on you that the enemy cannot steal away from you. It's the power of God's mercy. So if you want mercy, you have to give mercy. If you give mercy, you get mercy. That's the law of God. Well, pastor, what does God require from me? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Stand for those without a voice. Do justice and do justly. Stand for those unborn who are being persecuted and put to death. Stand for the beaten down. Stand for those who have been unjustly treated Stand for those who've been abused or objects of sex trafficking. Help the broken. Do justly. Walk humbly without arrogance. No superiority attitude. No demeaning of other people. But for the grace of God, it could have been me born into that environment. In the middle of justice and humility, he said, love mercy. After being born again to please the Lord, do justice Walk humbly in humility and love mercy. Be a merciful person. Be strong in mercy. In the middle of religious exercise and learning and the disciplines of God's truths, remember mercy. We worship, we sing, we fellowship, we share the gospel. We love mercy. Because our culture is broken. It's messed up. And everywhere people are searching for some kind of an answer. Some think that when November comes, they're going to elect somebody who's going to fix the problems in America. No, the answer is not in the White House. It's in the church house. It's in the one that we put on the cross. It's through him that we're going to see change in our culture. And that's the mercy of the Lord. That cross means I'm having mercy on you. Because instead of getting what we deserved, he gave us what we needed. And in allowing Jesus to go to the cross, he showed us mercy by letting his son take what we deserved. That's mercy. And everywhere people are looking for some answer, 
What will change their lives? The mercy of God. At the pool of Bethesda, the sick were brought, and there they waited for an opportunity to be healed. And Bethesda means the house of mercy. The sick were all around the house of mercy, but few ever got in it at the right moment. It's very rare. But Jesus shows up one day, and notice how you get into the pool to be healed. It's through Jesus. And Jesus said to a man who had been there crippled, 38 years crippled, lying there helpless, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? And he said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And Jesus shows this crippled man mercy. See, Jesus is the way into the mercy of God. And when you receive Jesus, you step into the mercy of God. A crippled, broken, hurting culture needs to hear ministry full of the water of mercy. Otherwise, all we have is a church full of crippled people. But if we can bring people into the mercy of God to confess that in his mercy, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So even when you have stumbled and had a setback, Remember, his mercy endures forever. And he'll show up there in your trial and in your test and bestow mercy. And God does not want you to give up. But press back in because he still has a reservoir of mercy. Michelangelo was a famous painter and sculptor. He was doing a rendering, a sculpture of Moses And in trying to discern a little bit about Moses, he read a translation from what was called at that time in his lifetime, the Latin Bible. It said in the Hebrew translation, which is the more accurate translation, when Moses came down from the mountain after fellowshipping with God, that Moses' face shone with the glory of the Lord. In the Latin translation that Michelangelo was looking at, it renders glory that word glory as the word horns. So Michelangelo sculpts Moses with two horns on his head, a mistranslation, looking like a devil because of a misinterpretation. Without mercy in your heart, you'll hear something about somebody. You don't have the full picture, not all of the facts, and before you know it, you're painting them or sculpting them with horns. You may know gossip, yet label somebody with horns. Listen to me. Christians have been guilty of this stuff because you heard something and you assumed the worst. The only reason you don't have horns, you were dehorned by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you want his mercy to keep coming to you, you better be sure you give it to someone else. Because even denominations have done this. Stay away from the Pentecostals. They have horns. Watch that attitude. Backbiting in the local church. Let's take our gun sights off one another and collectively point them at the devil. The world is going to hell and Christians are cannibalizing each other. Families have done this to one another. That's why Jesus said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Hmm. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Hmm. 
I don't know about you. I need the mercy of God. (laughs) And if we want God to show us mercy, we better learn to extend mercy. Because if we don't extend mercy, neither will the Father have mercy upon us. You're going to get hurt on your journey following Jesus. There's no way it's going to escape you. It's intentional sometimes, unintentional. When that happens, forgive your choice. Choose to retain the offense and become bitter and poison, and you'll self-destruct. So I'm not saying you become a doormat or you allow people to abuse you. You stand for what is right, but you're forgiving, and you show mercy. And always have an area of mercy in your daily walk with God, a place where you retreat and go before the mercy seat of the Lord and ask God to wash you and cleanse you and keep any unforgiveness out of your heart. There are too many mean-spirited Christians running around today, poisoned, angry, bitter. The result, they are spiritually dead, and what's worse, they don't know it. When we hear of somebody struggling and falling, there remains in us a merciful attitude, an attitude reflective of our Heavenly Father, And the longer you journey with God, the more you come to know, I am only making it by the mercy of God. I am kept by the mercy of God. I am holy by the mercy of God. We don't shoot our wounded. We don't leave our wounded behind. Divorce happened. Someone slipped and fell. There was a failure. Now, it's real easy to trash them and judge them and then condemn them. But my friends, you are spiritual, Paul wrote. So if someone is trapped in sin, you should gently lead that person back to the right path. But watch out and don't be tempted yourself. You obey the law of Christ when you offer each other a helping hand. That's called mercy. And we all need his mercy. Before we go on the attack, check your own heart, check your own life. If I want mercy, I must extend mercy. Are you listening? Yes. Uncle Pat and I, my, one of my, my mother's four brothers, he used to take me out at low tide at the harbor where I grew up. And we, we went several times and had the time of our life. Right around, sometimes it was right around the end of the day, summer day. Some would be going down at after 8 o'clock, and we'd be out there at low tide, somewhere right after dinner. And Uncle Pat and I would go to my father's business and get some what we called salt pork. We would tie it to a rope or some twine, and we would toss it out right after the low tide had gone out and the tide was starting to roll back in. And then we would slowly drag in that piece of salt pork on that twine. You know what was hanging on to the piece of salt pork? Crab. And we had a big old basket, and we would fill. Listen, we would, within an hour and a half or two, we would fill the basket full of crabs. And they were good size, bigger, bigger than my hand, as big as my hand. They'd be in there snapping and crawling around in there. And, and we'd fill the basket. And we never put a lid on the basket, ever. We never put a lid on it, even though that thing would get pretty full close to the top. Because every time one would try to climb out, see, he'd climb up on the backs of the other crabs every time, and the other crabs would reach up and pull him back down saying, no way, you get back down here with the rest of us. If I'm not getting out, you're not getting out. There are too many crabby Christians. 
And just about the time somebody gets favored and some Christian comes along and reaches out and tries to pull them down. Don't be a crabby Christian. Let's be Christians that get behind one another and push others forward and upward. Listen, because if they can break out, then we can break out. Mercy lifts people up and gives them another chance. Because that's what the Father did for every one of us in this room today. You are reflecting the nature of God when you show someone mercy. Remember the scripture. God hovers right above the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim. And in that context, ask yourself and ask the Father to give you a Holy Spirit infusion of power over your tongue. Your tongue can be the most wonderful blessing to the person who's been devastated, broken, and crushed. Or your tongue can destroy and shred and crush and scorch that same person. If your tongue is one of mercy, it lifts somebody. If your tongue is judgmental, it tears them down. Receive and give mercy. You have freely received it. Freely give it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Romans invented cement. In all their empire building, someone came up with a formula to, to build and put those pieces together, those specific elements together, exactly what was necessary in order for that, to, that product to harden into cement. With it, they constructed amazing structures. And if you travel throughout where once their empire ruled, you'll still see some of those structures standing now. They're still there. That's how long they've lasted. But when the Roman Empire collapsed, the next generation did not have the formula given to them for mixing and making cement. So the next generations, plural, could never really fully rebuild what had been torn down because they could not still figure out what did they know that we didn't know. It wasn't until the 1700s that a man from England arrived with a formula and figured it out, this is what we need to mix together in order to get cement. Then they started to rebuild and use that kind of material to build again. It's critical we pass along to the next generation the amazing mercy of God, a broken culture Listen, the devil will tear your life to shreds, tear out your dreams and destroy them, tear apart your, your marriages. When things have crumbled all around you, you can rebuild your life due to what God has promised you. You can rebuild. You get another chance. It's called mercy. Mercy will show up. Mercy will restore. Mercy will heal. Mercy will rebuild your life. So be sure you keep room in your heart to show mercy. Because mercy was shown to you. Use your mouth to bestow mercy. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper here at Calvary, it's so special. And the word reminds us when we pick up the bread and we pick up the fruit of the vine to examine ourselves. Why? Because I'm standing in front 
of the mercy seat of God. On it is the blood of his son, Jesus. that bread and I hold that cup and if I don't discern the body of Christ and show what Jesus showed to me I condemn myself Paul said some have grown sick and even died because they've retained in them an unforgiveness an unwillingness to show mercy. Jesus used that supper to show us his mercy. Remember to show his mercy to others as he's been merciful to you. Because hanging on that cross that day was the greatest display of mercy ever shown humanity in all of its hideousness and ugliness was the beneficial mercy of God. That's what I deserved. But he showed me mercy. So Isaiah the prophet, looking down the corridor of time, out of the heart of God, expressed into his son Jesus, writes, I, even I am he, blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Anybody here want to shout over that? grateful for this God who could have easily snuffed me out and been justified in doing it. I'm grateful that in his character equal to his justice is his mercy. Mercy said no I'll take his place. I sense mercy, spirit of mercy in here today. I will rebuild your life, rebuild your marriage, rebuild your relationships. See, God has the formula for the cement to restore your life. When there was no way you could try to pick up the pieces yourself or try to figure out the formula for the elements to come together, to make a sturdy foundation once again. Once it was broken and destroyed, you had no way of putting it back together. Until God said, I know exactly what needs to go back into that to give you a place upon which to stand again and become to me not only my child, but a priest and a king. For you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, my own special people. I don't know about you, but I'm already standing, but my hands are going up. You ought to stand with me and let your hands go up.
and say thank God for his mercy.